0: Uh, thank you for being here today. I hope you brought your Bible. And if you'll locate two places, Proverbs chapter 13, find that place. I know you kind of have a groove in your Bible there, but look there again, Proverbs chapter 13 and then James chapter 2. And we'll look at a bunch of other verses uh, up on the screen. I hope you'll take some notes today. I believe it will help you. Have you ever thought about what you are attracted to? On a consistent basis, Uh, the things that we are attracted to um, declare our intentions, and usually they are unconscious. Uh, Most of us are attracted to shortcuts. We we like shortcuts. We like secrets. Uh, Secrets bind people. But there's another reason that we like secrets is because of what they represent. For example, uh, the word secret in a book title Uh, Five Secrets to a Happy Family, Uh, Seven seven Secrets to Wealth. And you go in the bookstore and you see these titles. And so uh, we are attracted to that because it kind of represents a shortcut. Seven shortcuts or or seven uh, unknown things that other people are not aware of. And the idea is that it's going to save you some work. It's going to make things simpler. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'd rather take the shortcut than the long cut, would you? But sometimes God does not want you to take the shortcut. And the solution is right there before us. Now, we do this in our walk with the Lord all the time. We, uh, uh, I'm kind of uh, scared sometimes when people say, well, you know, just, just, just spend five minutes with the Lord every day. You know, just, just do five minutes And we try to make it an irreducible minimum and give God the very least that we can. And I understand on the front end, maybe you're trying to build a habit and some things like that. But we really sell God short. Just take a shortcut. If you can't tithe, just give God, you know, 2%. Just start somewhere. And, you know, the analogy to those things is, well, if you can't be faithful to your wife all the time, just be faithful 90% of the time. And, you know, when you complete some of those analogies, they're just absolutely ridiculous. We really think about it. Uh, are you attracted to to shortcuts? When we reject what God has, has given to us, the sure result of that is reproofs. There's consequences when we do not take God's answers. Now, God has provided for every. Christian here. And this is a message to God's people. If you're not a Christian, I believe it will help you. I believe that it will draw you to himself as you listen to what God has given to his children. But God has given to to every person, every child of his resources for a fruitful and a joyful life. And he wants you to use these resources. And they're not shortcuts. Now, here's the good news, and here's what I want to give you as we talk about some of these resources in the coming weeks. And here's the angle I want to take on these resources. We'll talk about the resource, but you can grow in these resources. Most of the things that I'm going to talk about in these weeks is you're going to say, well, I already knew that. That's familiar. But sometimes that's the problem as we try to shortcut God we tried to secret God what what is the secret to that and our father says really there's not a secret it just take it takes time it just takes some time it takes some focus and spend some time with me and you can cultivate that and you can grow that and you can develop some muscle there and be strong in that and deepen your joy and deepen your love and deepen your peace Paul had uh, prayers that he prayed for his churches and uh, I have taken these prayers and prayed them for myself, for my family, and for you. And I uh, remember preaching through Philippians and that kind of got halted with the uh, the COVID virus and we picked it up a little bit when I picked up uh, the theme of unity and then God led me to go in this direction for a while. But uh, that, that prayer that he prayed for the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 and then in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. He prayed these prayers, and they have certain themes. And as I was reading those prayers this week, there are some words uh, in those prayers. And uh, the themes are theirs, but these words are in those prayers, Abound, Strengthen, Increase. And did you get that? He says, I want you to abound in something. I want you to strengthen your inner man. I want you to increase in this area. Some of his prayers dealt with familiar themes, but they dealt with growth. They dealt with growth with familiar areas. Now, one of the fundamental areas of being a Christian is the matter of faith. I want to talk to you about that today and, and next week, God willing, is how to, how to grow in faith. How to grow in faith. Now, you can grow, you can develop, you can strengthen your faith. Now, how do you do this? I think sometimes, many times, dare I say most of the time, uh, preachers exhort congregations and they put... Um, I don't know if this is a word or not. I use it sometimes. They put cheap guilt on people. And hey, you need to grow in faith. And uh, they exhort people and, and put, they make people feel bad. But they never tell them how to do it. And, well, how do you do this? How do you grow in faith? Well, I'm not going to really get to the, the specifics next week. I'm going to do that this morning. I want to kind of give you an introduction. And I hope to whet your appetite a little bit about the matter of faith. And then next week, we're really going to get in the nuts and bolts of this. But I just want to kind of, again, as I so often talk about, just go on the front porch. We're not going to go in the house, but get on the front porch and talk about the matter of faith. And then next week, go into the nuts and bolts of how to grow in faith. Now, here's, here's the idea that we're going to talk about today and next week. And this is a conviction that I have because it's in the Word of God. And here it is, that the quality of your life and the effectiveness of your ministry is in proportion to your faith. Now, I want to say that again. The quality of your life and the effectiveness of your ministry is in proportion to your faith. So that means if your faith is increased, if it's strengthened, that the quality of your life deepens, that it goes up. And it means that the effectiveness of your ministry is sharpened, that, that you're a more effective minister for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, we read books and we'll go to conferences to, to be more effective, and, and we're looking for the, the, the magic source. We're looking for the secret. We're looking for the shortcut to have a a more joyful life, to have a more quality life when it's really a matter of faith. I think if you could see, and we will see in heaven, I think, how much that unbelief has kept us from God's best. You read that in, in the Psalms. You see that over and over again in the Old Testament with these illustrations, that unbelief keeps us from God's best because it limits God. From, from doing what he wants to do. Many years ago, I was preaching and I said that and, and someone got offended. They came to me after the service and I said, you can't limit God. God can do what he wants to do. Well, God has chosen in his economy to respond to our faith. And he has chosen to limit himself according to our faith. And we limit the Lord according to how much we trust Him. And I'll show you that biblically here in just a moment. So the quality of your life, the effectiveness for your ministry is in proportion to your faith. As you strengthen your faith, as you grow in your faith, and you don't have to be an old person. You can be a young person to do that, to be mature in faith, have a strong faith then you can, you can be a more effective minister, effective servant of God. And you can be a, a, a deeper Christian. You can be a more joyful Christian. You can have a, a more quality Christian life. Now, all of these messages are kind of under the, the arc of, of how to be rich. This is kind of the theme of these. And it's not kind of a, um, a hook a bait-and-switch to get people in, because it is. This is how, how you can be wealthy. Um, I've given you this verse we'll look at in just a moment. And this verse teaches that there's there's more than one way to be wealthy, and one way is better than the other way. And it's there in Proverbs chapter 13. You can look at it. Look at verse 7, Proverbs 13 and verse 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor yet hath great riches. I hope you'll memorize that. That's just a short verse, but it's very powerful. And uh, I pointed out in the first section, rich yet hath nothing. In the second section, poor yet hath great riches. Now, I want to say this this morning you cannot tell externally that the person that is rich doesn't have anything. You look at the big house, you look at the nice cars, you look at the nice clothes. And you think, they have everything. Externally, you cannot tell that they have nothing. Now, it's possible to have wealth and to have spiritual riches. But he's speaking here about a person that is materially rich, but they do not have any spiritual riches. Externally, you can't tell that. contrary you look at someone that is in poverty, they're poor, but they have great riches. And uh, they they either don't have anything to drive, or what they drive is not very nice. It's in the shop all the time, and they may not live in a nice neighborhood, or or they have a simple home or, or simple things. And you say, well, they don't have much. Oh, but they do. They have great riches, and you cannot tell externally. So don't don't measure things that way. That's what God. One of the things He's saying here. And my heart, and and when I say this, this is really my heart. My heart is that you would be prepared to meet God. And I thought about this uh, and prayed for you uh, when I was going through this. I want you to be prepared to meet God on, on two ways. Those of you that are here this morning, that you would know Christ personally. That when you stand before Him, that you would be saved. You'd have your sins forgiven. It was possible to be a church member. It's possible to possibly be baptized, to be confirmed, and to be lost. Good people don't go to heaven. Safe people go to heaven. You had to be born again. Nicodemus was a religious man, and Jesus told him he must be born again. And so, my heart is for every person that attends this church or visits this church that they would that they would be saved. And if you're here this morning, I want you to. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. Maybe people that are watching this by video, that that you would trust Christ as, as your Savior. And you fall on your knees and cry out for mercy. There's not a prayer. There's not a magic prayer. It's crying out to God for mercy. God, I'm not worthy. I cannot save myself. I cannot do this. But you can do this for me, and I trust what Christ did on the cross on my behalf. And I ask you to save me. But then there's a second component to that for those that are saved. And that is that you would live a life that's in alignment with the Word of God. One way I put it is that you would submit yourself to the Word of God. That you would literally put yourself under the authority of the Word of God. And that He would be in charge of your life. He would be your Lord. He would be your Master He would be your king and the word of God would be your guide. And you would walk in the spirit on a daily basis because you need to be prepared to meet the Lord. Now, there's a lie that's been perpetuated by the world, but some Christians believe it. And and here's the lie: in, in short, that being a Christian is not fun. Being a Christian is not happy. And sometimes it's not fun being a Christian. It's just hard. It's difficult. But, but I, think, I think the happiest people in the world, in the world happy, the word, I think it's Psalm 144 even at the end of the, verse 15, I believe. It talks about God's people being happy. You know, we talk about, well, Christians aren't happy. Christians aren't happy. They're joyful. Well, I, I, I don't want the kind you have. Uh, it's okay for you to have fun. God help us if we don't. And uh, and we have kind of accepted well all, all the good stuffs on the other side when I get home to heaven one day and that's true we'll know we'll know joy in its most extreme form but God has given us just a bucket honey load of joy right now and it's not found in possessions it's not found in stuff it's not found in your bank account. It's not found in possessions, but listen to this. It's found in you possessing your possessions. When I say your possessions, I don't mean your material things. I mean the gifts that God has given to you. These, these are the things that make you happy. These are the gifts that God has given to you that you can be wealthy in. These, these are the things that though you're poor, you're wealthy in and that, that make you joyful the peace of God, uh, gratitude, contentment, and anybody can have these, see they're available to you, and one of those is faith, and you'll never, you'll never be happy, you'll never be fulfilled on this side of eternity until, until you're rich in faith, you're rich in faith, and I want to talk to you just for a few minutes here about this matter of, uh, of joy and contentment, and, and really digging into this, and God gives the a, a preacher instructions in first Timothy chapter six and verse seventeen. And I want you to notice what he says. First Timothy six seventeen. He says to the preacher, Timothy, Paul, to his son Timothy, he says, charge them. And he's speaking about when you teach and preach, charge them that are rich in this world. Now he's talking about material goods here. And here are two problems that wealthy people tend to have. Number one is arrogance that they be not high-minded. There's a temptation to think that we're better than other people, you know, the class thing. And then secondly, they trust in uncertain riches. So their confidence is not in the living God, but it's it's in my money. And so two times there, he uses the word rich and then riches. And he says, I want you to charge them that they don't put their confidence there And they realize that I have given them these things and not to put their confidence there and don't be arrogant about it. That I've given them the energy, I've given them the oxygen, I've given them the gifts and the aptitudes to be able to make that money and I can take it away just like that. Don't be high-minded about that. Don't put your trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, I like this, who giveth us, and here's the third use of the word rich in a different form but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, I like this verse, and here's why. The word richly, the third use of it here, is not financially. It, incu- it includes money, but it includes other things. It includes relationships. It includes opportunities. It includes faith. He, the living God has given us richly. In abundance, all things. Now, why did, what did he give us these things? All of these, you may be poor, but you're rich. What did he give you this stuff for? When I say stuff, I'm not talking about material thing. We'll dig into some of these things in the coming weeks. He gave it to you to enjoy. Not just to make you a better person and to make you a better Christian, but to show up on your face. Not in a syrupy, plastic way, but a deep abiding joy. And it's interesting, the word enjoy here in the New Testament was written in Greek. And, and the word here in the Greek language means to enjoy to the fullest. It's a maximum joy. It's not temporary or fleeting. It is a very, it's, it's, it's the fullest joy you can know. And here's what he's saying. In a world that is fallen in sin, And bodies that that experience pain and disease and sickness, that the Bible says that He has given us all things richly, things to enjoy. And many times, the first thing our eyes go to are things to complain about. There are things that are sinful, that are negative to gripe about and to point and begin to preach against. Rather than saying, God, thank you for this. And you have changed my life for this. Thank you for this blessing. And as we we come down on this particular point, this one point this morning and next week on faith. God has given you this faith to one of the reasons is to increase your joy. It's to increase your capacity for ministry. Who wants to follow a grumpy ministry leader? It's to increase increase your quality of life. Who wants to follow a grumpy parent or a grumpy boss? Your faith makes a difference. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, the wise man Solomon said this, look at this, Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy. I have that circled. And to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life. Not to endure. Well, I've got to go to work. And no, to enjoy. To enjoy these things. And we just got back from a trip with uh, several of our kids. And some of them were for, there for uh, a week. Some for different. They overlapped different times. And Paul and I were there for the whole time because we wanted to spend time with our kids. And I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed every bit of it. And a lot of times I'm quiet, but don't mistake my quietness for for grumpiness. I'm observing things. And my bucket is just so full. And I'm just thinking about the goodness of God. And I don't endure this life that God has given me, how precious it is. And it's here and it's gone. That's what he's saying here. Enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches. This is financial wealth and wealth. And hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice. Look at this. To rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Whatever, God, whatever salary level you're at, enjoy it. You know what I've taught my kids? I didn't point them in the direction of an occupation. I I wanted to help them find out where they were gifted. And here's what I told them. I said, find out what you're good at and and then do it good enough and be willing to do it free and be so good at it. then, Then people will pay you to do it because you're good at it. But you're willing to do it for free because you're so good at it. But you enjoy doing it because it's something that you enjoy doing. Find out, find out why God made you. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, last night when I was getting some things ready. And um, they were talking. It was on burnout. It was actually on pastoral burnout. And I was just listening to some things, learning. And uh, the guy that was talking, he said I had done some research. And he said, uh, I found some similarities in uh, pastors and, and firefighters because, and here's what he said, because they, they both feel called. This was fascinating to me. He said they both feel called to what they're do- doing. And they're not the only occupations. but they, he had done this research. And uh, he, they, a firefighter, he said, it's not a job, it's a calling. Now, firefighters don't make a lot of money. You know, I don't know what you thought or what you think about it. They risk their life. They, they, they're not on the income scale. Much. They don't uh, make much Every firefighter that I know, they have at least one job, and, and most of them have two jobs on the side to help make up the discrepancy in the income. Now, that makes sense to me now because they, they have a calling to do this. And maybe that's kind of what I'm saying here. What are... What is the fit that God gave you? What is the calling? Maybe you're not called to do this, but God called you to be a mom. Don't let the world tell you that you're to go to do. Listen, there's honor in staying at home and raising your kids. And the world will say, oh, you're not. You're just a mom. Whoa, whoa. Listen, there's honor in it. There's dignity in that. And the world has all of these messages that come. Where you find out what you're called, what God has made you to do, whatever you're created to do. And you'd be willing to do that for free. And then sometimes somebody will pay you to do that. And maybe even a lot of money. That's really not the issue at some point because you just enjoy doing it. I've known people that have made a lot of money and they were miserable because they weren't wired to do that, because there was, there was no joy. I came across this quote from Warren Wiersbe. Let me share it with you. And it's reflective here in these two passages in 1 Timothy 6 and Ecclesiastes 5. Wearsby said, the word enjoy is in the Bible. One of the recurring themes in Ecclesiastes is enjoy the blessings of God now, because life will end one day. This is not sinful hedonism, living for the pleasures of life. It is simply to simply enjoy all that God gives us for His glory. Now, the Bible does speak to financial wealth, and it talks about its benefits, its blessings, but it also talks about its curses. But the Bible also talks about other types of wealth, such as being wealthy in faith, When your bank account is not full. But if you listen to the world and you listen to your own thinking, you're going to think, I can't be happy if I don't have money. And that's not true. Look at me. That's not true. You you need to be a man and a woman of faith. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about being saved. I'm talking about being rich in faith. Now... Last week, I gave you a financial principle that wealthy people said this is how they made their money and it's compounding interest. And I want to revisit that idea real quickly. If you ask almost every wealthy person, they will talk to you that they, about the fact that they have used compounding interest to, to make their money. That is that they, they made a financial investment and they begin to make interest And then after a while, they began to make interest on their interest. And then as the interest grew, they made more interest because the interest began to grow. And the principle was still there, but they were making money compounded on the interest. But here's the thing about compounding interest, and this is really the principle I want to draw on, is not just on the gargantuan amount you make at the end, and that's the principle is at the beginning, the, principal, the interest is small. If you look early on, you're saying, I'm not making very much. But compounding interest works for those that are in it for the long haul. You see, if you stay in the long haul, you begin to accumulate quickly at the end. But you, you, have, to, you have to stay consistently investing, consistently investing. And that's what I challenge you to do two weeks ago when I was here. Daniel preached last week and I appreciate the good message. I, I listened to it. That you put, listen, you put time and investment and you walk with the Lord. You put time investment into people. And on the front end, you don't see a lot of, of growth. But it compounds and you do it every day, every day, every day, every day, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And then over time, that, that investment begins to accrue, it begins to grow. And all of a sudden, you have a, you have a healthy, strong walk with God. You have a huge impact with people because of what you have been doing. Now, the idea I gave you uh, two weeks ago was this, is that what you're growing is where you're going. That whatever I'm growing right now in my life, whatever I'm focusing on, that's where I'm going. And my destiny is attached to the seeds that I sow. That what I feed is my future. Now, that, that is a true in the financial world. That's true in... The agricultural world that's true in the spiritual world it is law that god has put into his universe and so in, in that sense you determine the quality of your future now god god has given this as a law to his people and he will not violate his own laws and here's my question listen carefully what are you growing what are you investing in What are you fertilizing in your life? What is compounding? Now listen to this. Whatever gets your attention and your time is your investment. And what you invest in is what you're going to get results in. For good or for bad. And you can't change that investment. You can't change that harvest for good or for bad. Now you can start a new one. That's the good news. But you can't change the old one. I was praying through this this morning, and and God spoke to me. I know some people, uh, pastors, and other people that have messed up their lives, and they've sown a lot of good seed, and they messed up their life. But on the front end of their life, they sowed a lot of good seed. It doesn't—that doesn't change what they did on the front end either even though they messed up right here. And we tend to paint all of their life by this mistake, by this sin. But there's there's some things, some investments, some people got saved. And so whatever, this is is going to determine quality-wise your future, your investments. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Look at this. Be not deceived. In other words, don't, don't, Don't you let the world or or your thinking excuse you from this. You cannot excuse this away. You cannot change this. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whatever seed a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit, that is what God tells him to do, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's quality. It's eternal. And here's what he says, and this is, this is a compounding on the back end. And let us not be weary in well-doing. And I don't want to change the Bible, but this is the application. And let us not be weary in investing. Let us not be weary in, in well-doing and in investing daily when we can't see the harvest. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just keep on. Get up and go to church when you don't feel like it. Read your Bible. Do what you're supposed to do. I'm not talking about legalism, but I am talking about obedience. Someone said this, first we make our choices, and then our choices make us. Wherever you are today is a result of the choices that you made last week, two weeks ago, and all the years before. So all of these all of these deposits that you're making they require patience. And let me give you some illustrations with this. Parenting. Parenting is not accomplished in the short term. The harvest requires patience and you must make deposits every day. I think the unsung hero in the vocabulary of a parent is consistency. When I I talk to parents about discipline, I say there's two things that you must remember in discipline is consistency and love. If you do not discipline your children consistently, it won't work. It won't work. It will never work. It must be consistently. And secondly, it must be in love. Discipline and anger doesn't work. But the biggest flaw that we have Is it's not done consistently. You you've got to be consistent and steady about it. And just consistently tell them you love them. Consistently be present. And then the harvest. The harvest requires patience. This is a long game. This is not the short game. Then effective pastoring. Now you're not a pastor, but let me let me talk to you about this. It takes time. A church is made out of people. And sometimes people don't do right. And every sermon, every sermon is like a layer. Every sermon is different. And every time I preach is sowing seed, it's an investment. And it takes patience. And there are people that have been here for five years, for ten years, there's been people that have been here for decades. And I have seen you grow, and it's not because of what I've done. Someone said, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And hopefully I've taught you how to fish, how to to do these things for yourself. But there's been a consistency in the pulpit, in the way that I preach, and what I've taught you, and it's just consistent. It's just steady. It's steady, a steady diet. The same stuff, the Word of God, the pure Word of God. Turn to this passage. Look at this Word. This Word means this. And because of that, this is what you ought to do. That may be something different. It's not a lot of entertainment. But it's the pure Word of God. Learning the Bible takes time. It takes consistency. When I was a teenager, I, uh, I read the Bible off and on. One one night, uh, we well we had a um, a guy that came into town, and he was uh, he was a cult. He was in a cult uh, group, and they had bought up some time. And so I uh, he he was on television, and he was on there for thirty minutes for two weeks. So I turned the television on to watch. And I was reading my Bible, just hit and miss. And so there was a call in. People would call in and ask questions. And he opened his Bible, and I looked at his Bible, and it was all marked up. And another page was all marked up. And I thought, my Bible's not like that. And I can remember watching that in my grandmother's den, and the Holy Spirit convicting me, say, He doesn't even have the truth. He, does, he, he denies the deity of Christ. And you believe Jesus is the Son of God and that salvation is by the grace of God. And he spent more time reading the Bible as a textbook to prove his heresy than you have as the bread of life. And it smote me to my heart. And I began just to read the Bible. And then I began to, to learn the Bible. And I didn't have a A Bible, how to study the Bible until I was 21 years old, and I had it from a tremendous teacher. But I, I knew a lot of the Bible by the time I was 21 years old, and I'm going to tell you why. It was layer upon layer upon layer, because I listened. I want you to listen carefully. When I came to church, I listened. I wrote down what people said, I paid attention. And I think sometimes we believe, well, if, if I had those courses, I went to Bible college. I knew a lot of the Bible, not because I was smart, but because I went to church. And I didn't go to sleep. And I paid attention. And I tried to apply it. Now, I'm not better than anybody, but there was a layer upon layer upon layer. My dad would buy tapes of, of preachers, and my mom and dad would take me to go hear preachers. And I would listen to those things. I would put them under my pillow at night. We didn't even have earphones. And I put my pillow, bless his heart, Hoss. I guess he went to sleep some. But I listened to those things. And it wasn't because I wanted to be a preacher. I was hungry for the Word of God. By the way, what you focus on is what you're going to become. Again, with the illustration of parenting. My parents invested in me, my sister and my brother, on a daily basis. My dad uh, corrected me, he invested in me, he disciplined me consistently. He loved me. He was a merciful man. But there was a consistency in my dad, his expectations. My mom invested hope in me. She saw gifts in me. When I walk into a music store, Sometimes I'll hear a song, and I'll tell Paula, I said, my mom bought bought the music to that for me. She'd go buy sheet music. She'd buy me books. And later on, you know, at the time, I couldn't think about it, but I think about the fact that she would hear songs. And she would go out, and the time it took for her to go buy that music, not just the, the money, but the time. The investments that she made in me, and now they're both gone, and, and they can't make those investments, but I'm, I'm so grateful, but listen to me, do you know the least thing that they invested in us besides clothing and, and some things they invested a lot of money into, but they didn't give us cash. The least thing in that perspective that they invested was cash, but they invested time just day by day. Day by day. And you can't, you can't say, here, son, go, here's some money. Go do this. Go buy you an iPad and go sit in the corner and, and, and do this. Let the iPad be the babysitter. That's, that's not going to work. And that's how we parent our kids today. There was a consistency. There was a steadfastness. I am, someone said, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday and I will be tomorrow based on the choices I'm making today. And I believe that. What are you growing? What crop are you growing? Zig Ziglar said, every choice you make has an end result. Every choice you have has an end result. I read that the average person spends two hours and 24 minutes on Facebook a day. So two and a half hours, basically. And the average person spends 40 minutes a day on YouTube. Two and a half hours on Facebook, 40 minutes on YouTube. And and I challenge you, I, I say this kindly but sincerely, do, do you read the Bible ever? What are you investing? Well, let's give Jesus five minutes Let's pray two minutes, and and we're spiritual pygmies. And then we talk about revival. We talk about all what's wrong with our country, and all of these things. And and we are we are becoming what we are investing in on a consistent basis. And what you feed is your future. These are realities. Can you imagine what would happen in this room, just in this room this morning, if our people spent two hours, and I'm not saying you should, but if you spent two hours a day in serious Bible reading and Bible study and learning the Bible, what kind of Bible student you would become, what kind of Christian, what kind of spiritual strength you would have. There are no lucky marriages, no lucky spiritual people. There are people that have sown into their marriages. They've sown into their spiritual lives. They just did what God said. They repented well. They said, I'm sorry to their spouse when they did wrong. They spent time together. They looked at each other when they talked to each other. You have to sow the everyday, everyday. It's compounds, it compounds. It compounds. And then at the end of your life, you say, we had a, we had a good marriage. I, I've had some people, and I, I try not to get mad. Well, you just got lucky. No, we didn't. We worked hard. We invested well. And you didn't get unlucky. We invested, we invested well. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 6, but God gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. You say, well, preacher, what does God factor into this? Well, he's, he, God, God is huge in this. Because you can't do this without the grace of God. You need his grace. But do you notice what the verse says? That God gives grace. You know what the prerequisite for grace is? It's humility. You say, well, okay, how do you do that? Well, First Peter chapter... Five and verse six says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time." I'm going to give you an unbiblical prayer that maybe you prayed and other people. It's a scary prayer. God, humble me. First Peter five says, "Humble yourselves." You, we have a lot to be humble about. You see, God, listen. Are you listening? God puts a responsibility on me to humble myself. It's not God's fault that I'm not humble. It's not my daddy's fault that I'm not humble. It's not the church's fault that I'm not humble. It's not the youth pastor's fault that your kids aren't humble. It's your kid's fault that they're not humble. Humble yourself. You see... God will give you His grace, but you have to sow humility. And when you sow humility every day, God begins to pour His grace and more enabling grace. All kinds of grace. The grace of God is not spooky, it's not ethereal. The grace of God is active, it's dynamic. The grace of God is a person, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes into your life. Some of you are saved, but you're not sowing into that. You don't need money to be happy, but you need Christ. So to be rich in faith, then, I need to practice stewardship and investing on a daily basis. And someone said this, the secret of success is found in your daily agenda. It's found in what I do every day have a test at school. I don't need to study for that. I don't need to study the night before. I start cramming. And that's when I get a 64 or 72. Rather than compounding a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Man, I got a 94. Did pretty good. I wasn't smarter than anybody else. It's about as good as I could have gotten in class. What I did is I, I, I daily invested. I reviewed while everybody was out, was in intramurals, eating donuts, running around. I had my head in the books. It's just daily discipline. Same thing with the preacher. If, if I wait till Friday, what am I going to preach on Sunday? I need an idea. You now, you know, where's, where's a good passage to? I got to get some material. I got to write this out. Then the result is going to show. But when I get my messages from the Word of God and, and I begin to cultivate that and I, daily, I'll take an hour, two hours, two hours, four hours, three hours. There's a, there's a whole lot of difference in eating a meal from a microwave and a crock pot and put that sermon in a crock pot than a microwave on... Friday night, and you can tell. Whatever you do daily has your focus, and it's usually unconscious. What I'm asking you to do, listen, is to make it conscious and be intentional about it and say, this is what I'm going to do, because success doesn't come suddenly, and neither does failure. You have been becoming That person. You've been becoming that parent. You've been becoming that Christian, good or bad. And so, my question is what are you preparing your family for? What are you preparing your life for? Stewardship is managing your resources. God is the owner. I'm the steward. I don't own anything. He loans me things, and then I manage it on a daily basis. Investing is when I provide someone with a personal resource. I take something. God has invested things in me, and then I will invest things in other people. And usually it's not money. Sometimes it's energy. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's a text message. Sometimes it's just a lunch to listen and to hear and to encourage. But on a daily basis, stewardship and investment, stewardship and investment. And then on the other end, when you do that consistently, people are going to call you lucky. But it's not luck. It's what you did every day. It's what you did every day. And you find out that, hey, I'm rich. Now, that works financially. But more importantly, it works in your Christian life. Now, I ask you to turn to James 2. Will you look there? James chapter 2, look at verse 5. James chapter 2 and verse 5. The context in James 2 is about people that were coming to church. They were poor, but they were not being received well by wealthy people, rich people. James 2, 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? So people that don't have much financially. God hath chosen the poor of this world. Look at this rich In faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Now, remember, I'm talking about how to be rich, how to be rich. And I'm going to talk to you next week. I'm going to give you just a few more minutes. Just stay with me on being rich in faith. He said, you're poor. You don't have anything, but you're rich in faith. Now, there are degrees... In faith. I'm gonna close with this. There are degrees in faith. First of all, there are people that have no faith. Jesus took his disciples in a boat, a storm came up, he was asleep. They woke him up, said, We're gonna die, don't you care? In Mark chapter four and verse forty, Jesus said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have look at this? No faith. No faith. Notice that fear and a lack of faith go together. Now I'm ask you a question, were these people saved? Yes, they were. These were his disciples. But they had no faith. And then there are people that are faithless. Faithless. When Thomas was in the upper room in John chapter 20 and verse 27, then saith Jesus to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand. And thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Was Thomas saved? Yes, he was. It's possible to be a Christian and to be faithless. And the reason Jesus said that, because earlier Thomas had told his brothers, he said, unless I see, I will not believe. Unless I touch, I will not believe. And he he said, I'm going to depend upon my senses, not my faith. A third level of faith is little faith. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus said, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, they use grass for fuel, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of a little faith? And the context of that is given in a passage of worry. People with little faith fret and they worry Haven't we all been there? No faith. Faithless, little faith. And then the Bible talks about great faith. When Jesus heard it, this is a centurion who had faith that Jesus could heal his servant from a distance. When Jesus heard this man's confession, he marveled. Look at this. He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now you won't find this, I think, one other time in the New Testament where God marveled at someone's faith, great faith. He marvels at our great, not very many people, here's the idea, have great faith. Now there are two other contrasts here. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, he talks about weak faith. And be not weak in faith. This is Abraham. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That is, that they could have a child. Now you know what weak faith is? Weak faith is when you consider your resources. Because he said he, he wasn't weak. Weak faith because he didn't consider his body or his wife's body. Weak faith is when you start looking at your bank account and your abilities. I can't teach this class. I can't get involved here. I can't do it. It's beyond my ability. That's a weak faith. And then finally, there is a strong faith. The next verse, Romans 4.20. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God strong in faith that means you're resting on God's promise and when you do that you bring God glory because people know that you didn't have the resources that God was honored through your faith now you can grow strong in faith and I want to talk to you about that next week now I want my children to know that not only that I love the Lord but I passed on to them a legacy that was rich in faith. And I just wrote down three things here that, how will my kids know that their daddy had a strong faith? Number one, that God answered my prayers and he provided for us. He answered our prayers and he provided for us. And our kids have seen that. I think I've told you before when Ashley was in college and, she and Brian were engaged, and Ashley people would come up and they would do things for Ashley. They would give her things. And after a while, Brian said, Ashley, I, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. And Ashley said, Brian, it, it happened to us a lot. And Ashley told me that, and in my heart, my heart leapt. Because he was paying attention. You see, when you don't, I think we think, well, we took our kids to church, but if your kids don't have a living God, and they think God is the company, and they've never seen God do something supernatural, and provide and answer your prayers, they're going to find another God to worship, little g. Secondly, I put they're going to know by the language that I use, by my words and by my attitudes. Do I have a faith-filled attitude or are my words faith? And am I a complainer? Am I negative? Am I faith-filled towards people? Do I believe the best? Do I believe the best? Am I hopeful? And then thirdly, I put my kids will know by the choices I make to exercise my faith. Or am I going to always put things on reserve? Or am I going to step forward in faith? And I keep talking about my kids. I want you to know too, but but I I want your kids to know, or your or your children, the people that know you, are are you going to be? Are you rich in faith? Faith is never developed in easy or comfortable situations. Because of that, it takes faith to endure. It takes faith to finish. Because it compounds, and that's where you get the energy to finish. Not because it's fun, because you've been investing for all these days. And then when the fire comes and it's difficult, you've got a reservoir. What are you trusting for in your life? What has God been talking to you about? What are you trusting for in your family, in your ministry? You, used, to, used to, I would say it like this, what are you asking God for? And that's not a bad question, but a better question is this. What are you trusting God for that he's asking you to do? Because sometimes we ask God for things that he's not, he, he, he said, what are you asking me that for? That's not my will. But what are you asking God for that's within the vein that He's asked? What is your response to what He's asking you to do? That's faith. The quality of your life and the efficiency of your ministry is in proportion to your faith. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. As your faith increases, so does the quality of your life. So does the efficiency of your ministry. So does your legacy. And your legacy is only as important as it glorifies God. We sure do need that in our church in this day of apostasy, when people are just looking for for folks that are real. You don't have to be flashy, but you need to be real. And we serve a living God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. Would you to bow your heads with me? Would you? Our Heavenly Fathers, we leave here today. We need you. Our faith is so weak.